Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, January 16th, 2024, the 1091st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So I am back from the Great American Restoration Tour in Irvine, California. Had a great weekend with the Badlands crew. Lots of interesting conversations. Got to meet many of you. So thank you very much for coming. Thank you for saying hello. Thank you for all your kind words and your little gifts. All of it. Just a uh, great weekend with everyone in Irvine, California. But a lot has happened since I last made an episode on Wednesday. Oh, I know one came out on Thursday. That's because I made a two-part episode on Wednesday. See, you just reveal the magic. 
But that two-part episode was called Hello, Goodbye, Taiwan, referencing some articles about Taiwan's future written within the last decade, one by John Mearsheimer, the other by Gordon Chang. Then we talked about the history of Taiwan's elections. We talked about the BLM Antifa-style color revolution in Taiwan in 2014 called the Sunflower Movement. We talked about past claims of election fraud. We talked about the geopolitical implications of one side or the other winning Saturday's Taiwanese general election. And we made some predictions for that election. I said it sounded to me like the DPP candidate was the global regime aligned candidate and that the global regime state propaganda media was fully in support of the DPP. The DPP candidate and his vice presidential candidate both have tight relationships with Washington, D.C., and we were told they were leading in the polls. Their party had been the beneficiary of that global communist color revolution sunflower movement. And while all of that sounds terrible, we were told that it would be even more terrible, potentially, including by people who I personally respect a great deal that the KMT, the Kuomintang, the opposition party, would be closer to, quote unquote, Beijing, that is the Chinese government under Xi Jinping. And that was portrayed to us like a victory for the Chinese Communist Party, our adversaries and mortal enemies. And that makes sense in a common geopolitical understanding that we have all been accustomed to for the years or decades we have been following these sorts of things, or at least had a general understanding of geopolitics as passed down to us through our education, indoctrination system, and through our mainstream media. The results of that election were reported on Saturday. The winner was the DPP candidate with 40.1% of the vote. 40.1% of the vote, he is the winner. The KMT candidate came in second with 33.5% and the TPP candidate came in third with 26.5%. So I made my position quite clear on Wednesday and Thursday's episodes. I thought the best candidate would be the KMT candidate. I also suggested that the KMT candidate was probably the people's choice or at least the people would choose against the DPP. And it turns out they did only get 40 percent of the vote, assuming the votes are all legitimate. And I do not assume that. And I know that we have been shown a series of stories and examples that lead us to believe the votes are all legitimate. The truth is doesn't really matter. We're being told what we're told. We're being shown what we're shown. And the candidate lie from the DPP is going to be shown to the world as Taiwan's president. Now, people were asking me on Saturday about my reaction and also about Steve Bannon's reaction, because people who listen to this show or follow Badlands or me know that I am a massive Steve Bannon fan. I think that Steve Bannon is the philosophical leader of MAGA. I trust his geopolitical worldview a great deal, and I fully understand and support his stance on taking down the CCP. I just also view things through the good twin versus evil twin lens. And so I don't reach all the same conclusions he reaches. And again, I think it is important to focus attention 
on what the CCP has done over decades and continues to do while their power does continue to diminish. The CCP, in my view, is the representative of that global regime in China. And at some point, maybe it will become perfectly clear to everybody just how much control and sway they actually hold. But Saturday's win for the DPP was presented by War Room as a great victory for the people of Taiwan in rejecting the influence of the CCP in Taiwan. Taiwan being presented as an independent nation that does all of these valuable things that we rely on, like, for instance, microchip manufacturing. Or we are told that we actually need this alliance in opposition to the CCP because China poses the greatest geopolitical threat to the United States. I personally reject both of those claims. Manufacturing should be onshore. Donald Trump was in the process of doing that. The solution to a manufacturing shortage is not to make awful deals with foreign nations, placing us in conflict with powerful adversaries. It's to make things right here. And I certainly don't support the argument that some practical concern justifies the American empire building military infrastructure in countries neighboring our greatest, most powerful adversaries, being told that we need that in order to protect ourselves when all we're really doing is inciting conflict and increasing the possibility of a widespread conflict or even a world war. Now, maybe one day I will have a conversation with Steve Bannon about this and get to bounce my ideas off him, see how he reacts. Maybe we find a point of agreement. Maybe we don't. We will see what the future has in store. And at that point, maybe we can decide who was right in this situation. Now, again, I see Steve Bannon as one of the philosophical leaders of MAGA. I believe that we are in a war of stories. Someone has to guide those stories. I believe Steve Bannon is one of the primary people doing that on our side of things. And if the atrocities of the CCP regime over decades need to be presented in a way that the American public will understand and accept, perhaps this is the narrative that will teach those lessons to everyone as it plays out. And of course, people might then say, well, are you applying a different standard to Steve Bannon than you're applying to Tucker Carlson? And I don't think so, although I understand why people might suggest otherwise. There are some justifications I would point to. If you don't agree with them, that is just fine. If you think I'm being inconsistent, that's just fine, too. We're going to see how these things play out. I'm trying to understand them to the best of my ability. I don't have the access to know the answers to these questions. So I primarily try to focus on those things that I am relatively certain are true and see who is afraid of saying those things and who isn't. So that would be the first thing. There has been no point at which Steve Bannon has ever pretended that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. Everything he's presented over the last three years, and I would say that I am probably consuming war room at an above 95% rate. I very rarely miss any war room because that is for me a source to understand the fullness of the very direct America first pro Donald Trump narrative. 
He has consistently been ahead on nearly every issue, and he has led people to making the proper decision at the time necessary. He did not mislead people about the original impeachment, the Ukraine impeachment hoax. End of 2019, beginning of 2020. That's when War Room started. It started as War Room impeachment. Then it became War Room pandemic. And he did not mislead people on that. He led everyone successfully through these massive psyops. He did not mislead people about the election or election fraud or the insurrection or the vaccines or the Ukraine war, etc. Now, that doesn't mean that he is going guns blazing into the great beyond as I do on this show and as we often do on Badlands. We are trying to figure things out way ahead of any of this. Because way ahead relative to the timeline of the mainstream media is still not far enough ahead to be interacting with all of these things in real time, thus giving us the power to create a more positive effect as events are occurring. And that is where we ultimately want to be. I made the argument last week that Tucker has repeatedly led people to the wrong conclusions on all of those issues. And he continues to tell blatant and obvious lies directly to his audience. And again, maybe he's doing that as part of some information operation to wake up the normies. But since we don't know one way or the other, it is better for us to adhere to and demand what is true, especially when it comes to the most important issues the ones by which people guide their own lives and make decisions for themselves. There is no reason, from my point of view, to believe that Steve Bannon was even misrepresenting his own opinion over the weekend. It is quite possible that he sees those leaders of the DPP the same way many people view Joe Biden or Lula da Silva down in Brazil as fully controlled people without the power to affect much change Given the circumstances, it might be totally practical for the next four years, for instance, to have the DPP representing Taiwan as Taiwan goes through their own transition. That isn't going to exactly mirror ours, but will go through some substantial upheaval as the global regime is further removed from power. That matters a great deal in a proxy state. It also might be exactly the right move. If that means we can avoid, via the narrative, increased propaganda on an imminent kinetic World War III. If one of those is the case and Steve Bannon knows it, then he's not actually lying at all. He is telling the truth. And I am simply being too idealistic for this current moment where he is dealing with the realism of the situation. He has been thinking about these issues and paying attention to these issues for decades longer than I have. He is also interfacing with people who I simply am not interfacing with. He said on War Room this morning that he and Trump talked on the phone last night after the Iowa caucuses. I don't get to interface with Donald Trump and I don't get to advise him. Steve Bannon does both of those things. So I would defer to him on the knowledge and the access. And then I would want to discuss my interpretation with him to see if he thought I was on the right track or completely off base. But regardless, us having different interpretations and him thinking it's good that, for at least now, the DPP is, quote unquote, 
in control does not make me doubt Steve Bannon's patriotism or honesty the way Tucker Carlson pretending that he's just now hearing about election fraud and just now considering that maybe elections were stolen and he hasn't proved it yet. But maybe just maybe all of that is a lie. All that's a lie. And it's a lie about a critically important subject. It is also worth noting that this new DPP president will be dealing with divided government, which changes what they're able to pull off and tells us something about the voters. This is from CNBC on Sunday. Taiwan's new president will face a divided parliament. Here's why it matters. Taiwan's president-elect Lai Ching-te will face a split parliament that will likely moderate his policy agenda, with Taiwan People's Party seen as the kingmaker, with eight seats since neither of the two major parties won an outright majority in the 113-seat legislative yuan. The presidential contest on Saturday was a three-way race among candidates from the ruling DPP, which China describes as a quote-unquote serious threat, the main opposition party and pro-Beijing Kuomintang, and the smaller Taiwan People's Party, or TPP. The Kuomintang, or KMT, won 52 seats in the legislature, one more than the DPP, and the combative Han Kuo-Yu could well be the party's choice for speaker on his return to Taiwan's parliament. If the KMT forms a coalition with the TPP, Han's rancor, after being recalled as Kaohsiung mayor and losing the 2020 presidential election as KMT's nominee, may be tempered by its prospective coalition partner. While Lai won the presidential election on Saturday with 40% of the popular vote, his DPP lost 10 seats in Taiwan's parliament from its previous 61, giving up its majority. At a post-election conference, Lai pledged to stay open-minded in his governance while committing to forging consensus in a divided legislature. Because the KMT did not win a majority in the legislature, they will be dependent on the support of the TPP to build a majority coalition. And if the KMT is too intransigent and tries to oppose everything the Lai administration wants to do, they may have a hard time sustaining that coalition, said Sarah Newland, an assistant professor of government at Smith College and a scholar of local politics in China and Taiwan. So she has the right perspective. She is the expert, this assistant professor in government at Smith College that CNBC is quoting. The TPP's policy positions aren't very stable, so they could just as easily cooperate with the DPP as the KMT on many issues, she added. And given their critiques of the ineffectiveness of the major parties, I don't think it's in the TPP's interest to be part of a coalition that makes the legislative process grind to a halt. This would just look really hypocritical. The outcome could see Lai embracing a more restrained China policy, particularly since KMT and TPP have advocated a more conciliatory posture, even as Beijing is likely to ramp up Pressure on Taiwan's government when Lai is officially inaugurated as president in May. The new parliament will take office next month. Lai refrained 
from provocative pro-independence rhetoric during the campaign. And our base case is that his administration will show continuity with Tsai, who exploited anti-mainland sentiment while avoiding obvious provocations. Gabriel Wildau, Teneo's managing director focusing on political risk in China, wrote in a client's note. So let's take a second and see who Teneo is. Teneo is a public relations and advisory company founded in 2011 by Declan Kelly, Paul Keery, and Doug Band. Doug Band is a former deputy assistant to President Bill Clinton, according to Wikipedia, and became a quote-unquote key architect of the Clinton post-presidency. He created the Clinton Global Initiative and later worked for the William J. Clinton Foundation. He was also a member of Coca-Cola's International Advisory Committee and an adjunct professor at NYU. Also, according to Wikipedia, Teneo has been the subject of controversy primarily over its extensive ties to the Clinton family and the leveraging of those ties for its business purposes. So this is who CNBC is quoting for reaction to the Taiwanese election. And this group in a client letter, they are telling their clients that the newly elected president the DPP representative is actually going to tone down his pro-independence rhetoric and try to avoid provoking China. Their client letter goes on, as reported in CNBC, Beijing will pay particular attention to signals from Lai's inauguration speech. Apart from military exercises, Beijing may also impose new tariffs or sanction Taiwanese companies that are political donors to the DPP. The Chinese Communist Party has refused to engage with outgoing President Tsai Ing-wen since she assumed office in 2016. Tsai did not stand at this election because she has served the maximum two presidential terms. China has never relinquished its claim over Taiwan, which has been self-governing since the Chinese Nationalist Party, or Kuomintang, fled to the island following its defeat in the Chinese Civil War in 1949. So the KMT, the losing party in the Chinese Civil War in 1949, losing that civil war to the Chinese Communist Party, that's the group that is being presented to the world as more amenable to the Chinese Communist Party, while the DPP is being presented as the adversaries of the Chinese Communist Party, even though they are in league with global communism. Kind of makes you think we're not getting the whole story, huh? And consider this. We were being presented with the idea that this election was going to be decided based on how each of the candidates deals with mainland China, deals with Beijing. And this election was won by the independence hardliners. Now we are being told they're actually not going to take a hard line on mainland China because they just didn't get a win big enough to justify it. The Guardian covered the outcome this way in their article from Monday, Taiwan revels in its young democracy as president-elect charts fresh course. And I'm not going to go through the full article at all, just this piece. Voters returned the ruling Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP, to presidential power, but took away their majority in the legislature. 
a new third party, the Taiwan People's Party, split the opposition vote, but also inspired a surge of idealistic youth to join its ranks. For many voters, regardless of stripe, the biggest takeaway from the election is pride in the system itself. The small democracy won plaudits internationally for its robust and transparent vote, despite efforts from China to influence the outcome and in marked contrast to Taiwan's recent history of authoritarian rule. And that's kind of wild because the DPP has held the presidency for the last two cycles. But their elections are perfect. They want everybody to know their elections are perfect. I wonder if we are still going to get that report about interference in the election that we were told would come sometime after the election. Let's go to the Washington Examiner yesterday. Former U.S. officials anger China and meet with Taiwan's president post-election. A group of former U.S. officials met Monday with Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen and her newly elected successor, Lai Ching-te. After a historic win for the Democratic Progressive Party that has raised the ire of neighboring China. And let's skip down through the official story and backstory. Between democracy and authoritarianism, we choose to stand on the side of democracy, Lai said. This is what this election campaign means to the world. Well, no, it doesn't. Our democracy, as in the system of the global regime that requires for its existence stolen elections, that is what our democracy is. That is what leads to authoritarianism. Authoritarianism is only possible in a system like the one they support. The unofficial bipartisan U.S. delegation, which arrived in Taipei on Sunday and met with Tsai, included Stephen Hadley national security advisor under then-President George W. Bush, and James Steinberg, deputy secretary of state under then-President Barack Obama, Lauren Rosenberger, chairwoman of the American Institute in Taiwan, led the group. Hadley congratulated Tsai and her party on the election win and said the U.S. commitment to Taiwan was quote-unquote rock-solid, NBC News reported. So we've got a Bush guy, we've got an Obama guy. Mainstream media in America, legacy media in America, the old guard in America would present these as competing visions. This is a bipartisan venture to Taiwan. These are two people who would normally be fighting like cats and dogs, just united now in meeting with Taiwan. And we don't need to go too deep into this, but I remembered the name Stephen Hadley. And here is some background on him. From Wikipedia, let's just go to the mainstream of mainstream sources, the CIA's own encyclopedia. This is the central narrative, the official story about these people. Is it objective and accurate? No, but at least we can glean something from it. Hadley is a co-founder in principle, along with Condoleezza Rice, Robert Gates, and Anya Manuel in Rice Hadley Gates, a strategic consulting firm. In 2013, Hadley, this is the Bush guy, was a signatory to an amicus brief submitted to the Supreme Court in support of same-sex marriage during the Hollingsworth versus Perry case. During the so-called Syrian chemical weapons crisis in 2013, Hadley advocated for attacking Syria with missiles. He was a director at Raytheon and owned nearly 11,500 shares of Raytheon stock, but news organizations didn't bother telling anyone about it. 
In 2016, he collaborated with Madeleine Albright in setting a new course for America's approach to the Middle East. He's a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, and he is also an executive vice president and sits on the board of directors at the Atlantic Council. His wife is a lawyer at the DOJ. There is a picture in his Wikipedia entry of him sitting with Homeland Security Advisor Lisa Monaco and CENTCOM Commander. This is all at the time in 2015. General Lloyd Austin. So how about that? The Bush guy is actually just an Obama and Biden guy. And once again, the Uniparty is on full display. So they are going over to meet with the outgoing Taiwanese president, congratulating her for her party's victory in Saturday's presidential election. Back to the Washington Examiner. The Chinese foreign ministry said Monday that the Taiwanese election was China's quote unquote internal affair. And, quote, will not change the basic fact that there is one China and Taiwan is part of China, end quote. A day earlier, the Chinese foreign ministry said a statement by Secretary of State Antony Blinken congratulating Lai sent a, quote, gravely wrong signal and, quote, seriously violated America's commitment to, quote, maintaining only cultural, commercial, and other unofficial relations with the people of Taiwan. So the illegitimate regime in the United States is actually provoking China with its rhetoric about and its communications with Taiwan. The Examiner article also notes, interestingly, the U.S.'s visit comes as Beijing continues to apply pressure on Taiwan supporters to change their allegiance. Most recently, Nauru, a Pacific Island nation, announced it would be flipping its support in favor of China from Taiwan. The move prompted one Taiwanese official to call it a quote-unquote blatant challenge to democracy. Nauru announced Monday it would resume full diplomatic relations with Beijing in the best interests of the country and its 12,500 people. The island nation had recognized China from 2002 to 2005 before switching its support to Taipei. Taiwan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs said the timing of Nauru's announcement was purposely released to offend Taiwan and felt like an ambush. Now, speaking of China, check out this segue. This is Breitbart today. China on Iowa. The world should prepare for return of Trump. The Chinese state-run newspaper Global Times urged the world on Monday, shortly before the beginning of the Iowa primary caucuses, to, quote, prepare for the possibility of Donald Trump being reelected as president. Trump, who served as president from 2016 to 2020 and maintained an aggressive anti-communist foreign policy, decisively won the Iowa caucuses hours later by the largest margin in the history of the Republican contest. As a candidate running against incumbent leftist President Joe Biden, Trump has prioritized challenging the Chinese Communist Party's espionage efforts in America and seeking redress for the party's role in causing the Wuhan coronavirus pandemic. Then again, it is important to note that the Wuhan coronavirus pandemic was a hoax and almost entirely a contrived media narrative. So with new fake pandemics on the rise, it's not exactly wise for us in the so-called truth community 
to be pretending that the 2020 virus was real when it wasn't. And I'm sure we will have plenty of time to parse that out this year. Skipping down. The Global Times routinely shames the United States for holding presidential elections, calling it a low-quality democracy compared to the totalitarian repressive rule in China under genocidal dictator Xi Jinping. The newspaper called upon its stable of American politics experts on Monday to assess the Iowa caucuses before they happened who lamented that Trump would likely emerge as the Republican presidential nominee and perform strongly in Iowa. And of course, we have Breitbart disseminating the official story of the Uniparty right here. China is enduring totalitarian repressive rule under genocidal dictator Xi Jinping, and they're calling the United States a low quality democracy. Well, hey, we have an illegitimate president who we were told received 81 million real lawful American votes, even though there's absolutely no proof of that anywhere. If that does not make us a low quality democracy, I don't know what could. And do we have a totalitarian government in place in the United States? Yes, we do. Are they repressive? Yes, they are. As they blatantly violate people's constitutional rights and human rights, they violate the Nuremberg Code. And they commit atrocities around the world. We are, sadly, currently a low quality democracy, at least outwardly. I would argue that in reality, we are ahead of that. And what is being portrayed outwardly is not an exact representation of what our country currently is, but it is an accurate representation of what our country has been for decades now, at least up until 2016. So let's read some more commentary from the so-called Chinese state media. As the U.S. election year race kicks off in Iowa on Monday, experts suggest that the world should prepare for the possibility of Donald Trump being reelected as president of the U.S. and a United States that is more divided, the Global Times predicted. Chinese experts believe that judging from the current situation, Trump is unchallenged within his party. And once the general election phase begins, Biden may not be a strong opponent for Trump. This means the world may need to prepare for the possibility of Trump returning to power and a more divided U.S. with the fighting between the political parties getting worse. Breitbart writes the state propaganda media outlet noted that not only was Trump significantly more popular than his remaining opponents, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, but Biden's job approval has hit a new low. The polling data in the U.S. is quite transparent, and Trump's approval ratings indicate that he is still a very competitive candidate. The world should be prepared for this. Chinese regime-approved expert Liu Xiang told the outlet, they wrote, the main problem for Trump lies in legal battles. Liu Weidong, a research fellow at the Institute of American Studies at the Chinese Academy of Social Science, told the Global Times on Monday, the newspaper reported. For Trump, the main concern is whether these lawsuits will have a significant impact, especially if new evidence emerges that could further harm him, Liu said. And oh, yes, he is so indicted and we are all so, so worried. Also today in Breitbart, EU presidency, if Trump wins 2024, Europe is, quote, on its own. 
Belgium, which has just taken over the rotating presidency of the Council of Europe, has warned of coming challenges to democracy, such as elections. In comments from their prime minister, Alexander de Croo, to the European Parliament in apparent reaction to Donald Trump easily carrying the Iowa caucuses on Monday night. De Croo told the chamber that 2024 would be a crucial year for the West in remarks that appeared to make implicit a view that elections are a challenge to be overcome for democracy rather than a key feature. Our democracies and our liberties will be put to test, not only with the election for this House, but equally so for the U.S. Congress, equally with an election for the U.S. presidency, said DeCruy, predicting if 2024 brings us America first again, it will be more than ever Europe on its own. And to be honest, that sounds great. Europe should be on its own, just like every other country and every other region should be on its own. It is not our responsibility to look after Europe, particularly not with this centralized European Union all of it subservient to the agenda of the global regime. It is not our priority as America first to be the world's police and provide the national security and defense for the nations of Europe. We can see these global bodies being weakened on the verge of collapse. There might not be a NATO a year from now, nor a European Union. And hopefully we will have neither of those a year from now. That would be wonderful. Get rid of the United Nations. Get rid of all these global governing bodies. We are entering a year of massive upheaval. And just to make the scale of all of this clear, this is the Washington Post from December 31st of last year, New Year's Eve. This isn't just an election year. It's the year of elections. This was their editorial board. The introduction for the United States 2024 is an election year, a potentially historic one. Congress and the White House are at stake. Former President Donald Trump is bidding to retake the presidency from President Biden with all that could entail for the stability of U.S. political institutions. Perhaps less widely appreciated, but no less significant, is that this will be a year of elections for the world. In 2024, votes for president, a national legislature, or both are set to take place in dozens of countries, including some of the world's most populous ones. India, Pakistan, Indonesia, Bangladesh, Mexico. Some of those most closely aligned with the United States, eight European NATO members and probably Britain and some 18 of Africa's 54 countries, among them Ghana and South Africa, where the African National Congress is at risk of losing its majority for the first time since the 1994 transition to democracy. Oh, wow. They might kick the global regime out completely. Congratulations, Africa. The Economist, whose count includes not only countries' national elections, but also municipal ones, as well as voting in 27 European Union countries for the relatively powerless European Parliament, estimates that 2024 will be the biggest election year ever. Voters will cast ballots in countries accounting for about 4.2 billion people, or about 50% of global population. And we are told that the world has roughly 8.1 billion people. Now, are those numbers accurate? Almost definitely not. That is not the sort of statistic that we should attach ourselves to or make decisions on the basis of. So we will likely go through this whole sort of process like we just did with 
Taiwan and China. And I will absolutely commit to doing that. It is great to know about the elections in other countries and what is happening there. It is great to see that the same playbook is being reflected in location after location around the world, just on different timelines. And it's important to understand that the narrative playbook is the same in all these places. We are going to hear the same stories over and over and over again. 4.2 billion people potentially going out to vote. Now, not all of them will, of course, and the number is probably also off by who knows how much, but it's at least some illustration of just how much potential there is for political upheaval all around the world this year. And China and Russia and powerful countries like Saudi Arabia, they're not even part of this process. The already sovereign nations of the world might be joined in their ranks in clear and obvious fashion by an even greater number of countries than are already joining them in the BRICS currency alliance. Back to the article in Breitbart. While making clear his view that a Trump presidency would mean a break between Europe and the U.S., which has been expensively underwriting European security in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine so far, De Cruz said this should not be feared, but embraced by making the EU stronger and capable of competing with the U.S. and China. This could be achieved, De Cruz said, by continuing to push Europe toward the federal superstate model as envisioned by its architect, Jacques Delors. How does that sound, huh? A federal superstate. They will all be individual nations but part of this federal superstate, and they will never lose their national identity or anything. They legitimately just want Europeans to lose their identity completely and just become members of this global regime wherever they live. What a pitch. Give up your national identity so that you can defend this brand new European federal superstate against the U.S. and Russia and China that we have just created. Imagine thinking that you might have to lose your life on a battlefield in defense of a still as yet non-existent European federal superstate. Oh, it's every little boy's dream. And let's go ahead and close this out. Another top European politician reacting to the workings of democracy, in this case, Donald Trump winning the Iowa caucuses, by asserting that this is killing democracy, is Guy Verhofstadt, well remembered for being one of the key enemies of Brexit from within the Union. Again, referring to both Trump and the forthcoming European elections this year, Verhofstadt wrote, democracy fighting for survival, window closing for Europe too. How is it that our democracy is being defeated all across the globe by people voting? That feeling that elections are dangerous to democracy appears widespread. As reported last year, European Commission Vice President and Bloc Foreign Affairs boss Joseph Borrell told British left-wing newspaper The Guardian that he was afraid that Europeans could, quote, vote because they are afraid, end quote, saying right-wing politics prey on fear, while enlightened leftists like himself provide a, quote, lucid analysis of the situation. They are smart. We are stupid, as always. If Europe votes in right-wing parties in greater numbers in the continent-wide election this year, Borrell panicked, then it could leave Europe in a situation, quote, as dangerous, end quote, as that in the U.S. with Donald Trump. It is funny that they still believe they're selling this stuff to a captive audience. 
These countries are going to be showing the world, and that includes the United States, by the way. The United States is going to be showing the world that what it wants is the removal of, quote unquote, our democracy, which is just the system and agenda of the global regime, the global, international, liberal, rules-based world order. No one wants it, which is why it's being eradicated everywhere. And they are beginning to understand it. This is president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen. And it really is crazy how many different illegitimate bodies they make up in these federalist states and the global governing bodies. They just keep inventing new ones all the time to give more groups the air of governmental authority. But here she is panicking. For the global business community, the top concern for the next two years is not conflict or climate. It is disinformation and misinformation, followed closely by polarization within our societies. These risks are serious because they limit our ability to tackle the big global challenges we are facing. Changes in our climate and our geopolitical climate, shifts in our demography, and in our technology, spiraling regional conflicts and intensified geopolitical competition and their impacts on supply chains. The sobering reality is that we are once again competing more intensely across countries than we have in several decades. And this makes the theme of this year's Davos meeting even more relevant, rebuilding trust. This is not a time for conflicts or polarization. This is a time to build trust. This is a time to drive global collaboration more than ever before. This requires immediate and structural responses to match the size of the global challenges. I believe it can be done. So there she is from the stage of the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum in Davos taking place right now. And we've heard similar comments over the last few days from the philosophical leader of the global order, Yuval Noah Harari. Are you concerned that Trump might be elected again? I, I think it's very likely. Mm. And if it happens, it is likely to be the kind of like the, the death blow to what remains of the global order. And he, says it, and he says it openly. Now again, it should be clear that many of these politicians, they present a false dichotomy, a false binary vision of the world, as if you have to choose between patriotism and globalism, between being loyal to your nation and being loyal to some kind of, I don't know, global government or whatever. Now, that is not at all a false dichotomy between patriotism and globalism. That is not a false binary. That is an entirely legitimate binary. It is one or the other. You cannot be patriotic and in favor of this global world order. And he's the one who said it. This is not a conspiracy theory. That's Yuval Noah Harari talking about the global order 
and Donald Trump's so-called election being the death blow to the global order. That is how we present Donald Trump. That is the case for Donald Trump. And that is Yuval Noah Harari, the philosophical leader of that global order, essentially Klaus Schwab's mouthpiece. Yuval Noah Harari saying the same thing. So as we've been discussing over the last couple of months, it seems that on some level, the world is preparing to deal with a future publicly recognized Donald Trump presidency. The regime's media outlets have been preparing a multitude of narratives, as they always do. They are preparing to frame any potential actual outcome while also trying to stave off the outcomes they don't want to deal with. They would love to make sure that Donald Trump isn't the president again, but they're running out of opportunities and ways to make that happen. The nation is not going to believe that someone else beat Donald Trump in the primaries. And we saw more proof of that last night. We're going to discuss that, obviously. But not only are people not going to believe that someone other than Trump could win the GOP nomination. They're also not going to believe that Joe Biden beat Donald Trump this fall, which doesn't mean we won't be told Joe Biden won, just that people won't believe it. Obviously, we don't know how that'll turn out, but within the next 10 months, we are going to see a mass movement toward Donald Trump as more of the truth pours out on all of these many levels. And so while they will continue to try to stave that off in any way possible, they are also going to set up narrative plays in the increasingly likely event that Donald Trump is once again publicly recognized as the president of the United States of America. They have to be ready for their push to make Donald Trump Adolf Hitler and make all of MAGA his Nazi supporters. That is how they want to frame things, and they are going to be preparing to do that. I find it extraordinarily unlikely that anyone is going to be prepared to go along with that story and believe that 10 months from now, after watching more of the legal effort to destroy Donald Trump, maybe we will see some sort of assassination attempt. We will see more narratives about foreign wars. We have discussions of disease X percolating in the World Economic Forum. And we could absolutely see more protest movements in the United States, more civil uprising, more domestic terrorism and violence like we saw in 2020 coming from Black Lives Matter Antifa. We could see a trans Floyd, as James Lindsay calls it, the new trans version of the George Floyd incident. All sorts of possibilities for societal instability as we head through 2024. And at the end of that, in the event that Donald Trump is recognized as the winner and as president again, we will have the narrative coming from old guard legacy media that Donald Trump is Hitler and all of MAGA are Nazis, despite the fact that that is going to represent the overwhelming majority of American citizens. And then while attempting to rectify the political crimes in this country, the crimes against America, the crimes against humanity. We will be told that all of that is Nazism. Deporting millions of illegal aliens brought into this country in a slave trade will be painted as ethnic cleansing 
For instance, when political criminals, ones with dual citizenship in Israel, are prosecuted for their crimes, that will be called anti-Semitism. All the people who for years or decades in this country have pursued explicitly collectivist, communist, fascist, Nazi-style leftism will flip that, pretend to be the victims, and call us the Nazis. They've redefined words. They've promoted medical experimentation and medical segregation. They have supported concentration and work camps in other countries and exploited the slave labor of other countries. They've stolen elections, illegally changed laws, and persecuted their political opponents. They're indoctrinating and re-educating the youth. They are trying to remove God from society. They're censoring and propagandizing the country. They support transhumanism and are trying to actively create a man-made God mind in AI. And they legitimately, in 2022, supported Nazi battalions in Ukraine, arguing that they could not be Nazi battalions, despite the fact that they were, and that there is an eight-decade-long history of Nazism right there in Ukraine, because the comedic actor they were told is president of Ukraine was also Jewish, they were told, so therefore couldn't be a Nazi. And despite the fact that we have opposed each and every bit of that loudly and publicly while being censored, everything we do to correct all of those problems will be reframed as us creating those problems. This is what they have done throughout history. This is what the old switcheroo is all about. And if you want an extended explanation of the switcheroo, Go to the Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com. And in the search bar, just type in switcheroo and it should bring up episodes and articles mentioning the switcheroo. So let's get into the Iowa caucuses. Here's Fox News with the big moment. We're going to make a call. Let's bring in Martha McCallum, anchor of the story, and Brett Baer, anchor of Special Report. What do we have, guys? So based on the first results and our Fox News voter analysis, the Fox News decision desk can now project that former President Donald Trump will win the Iowa caucuses. He will take uh, the lion's share of the state's 40 delegates. This result really solidifies his place as the current front runner for the nomination. Uh, former governors Haley, former Governor Haley and Governor DeSantis fighting for second. And this is really going to maybe last a while because it's a close race right now, how we see it. So there it is. Professional news media organization, Fox News, making the big call on Trump's victory right out of the gate. Jesse Waters just interrupts his show and throws over to election calling experts, Brett Baer and Martha McCallum, who called Arizona for Joe Biden in 2020. Well, they're calling this one for Donald Trump and they're calling it early. Sure, it's close, but they're calling it early for Trump because Trump's obviously going to win. And you got to appreciate the television presentation aspect of this because that's really all there is to it. They want to make news. Fox's decision desk has determined that Donald Trump is definitely going to win. Therefore, we have to tell everybody that. Oh, great. 
Didn't you know? The news media decides who wins elections. We watched that play out in 2020. They even made an episode of HBO's series Succession about how the incompetent ne'er-do-well children of a media magnate essentially decided who was president on their own by presenting a winner to the country. That is art imitating life, because that is what we watched in 2020. If the media hadn't told the country that Joe Biden really received 81 million real lawful American votes, no one could have ever believed that or made a case for it. They could have told everyone that Donald Trump won by 10 or 15 million votes and people would have been like, yeah, I guess maybe he did. It does seem like people like Donald Trump and there sure are a lot of people who we know like Donald Trump, but don't say it in public because they know that they'll be attacked for it. The nation could have accepted that if that's what they were told. The problem is too much of the nation simply accepts what they are told, whether or not it's true. But if they had been told that Trump won in a landslide, that would have been believed. Why? Because it could have been believed. Despite the propaganda and the censorship, all of the narrative support was there for Donald Trump's win. And the actual support for it was there as well. People knew in their own lives that Joe Biden had virtually no real support. Whatever support he had was the anti-Trump vote or whatever relatively small number of totally delusional communists we still have in this country. There really are people who think Joe Biden is just great, but the rest of them are just Trump-hating, neoliberal, wannabe elites. Whether they have a D next to their name or an R next to their name, that's who they are. They are members of the Uniparty. They are college-indoctrinated, standard-issue villagers, 100% committed to supporting the Uniparty and the party of false decorum. In a never-ending tickle fight with their controlled opposition to determine which set of reality-detached values makes them better and smarter than their college friends. So Iowa held its GOP primary caucus last night. And for days leading up to the caucus, we were told that the freezing temperatures all around the country, the wintry weather, was going to make it possible for Donald Trump to lose that caucus. It was just too cold for Trump to win, we were told. Somehow, the cold weather was going to disproportionately harm Donald Trump, even though the other candidates had no enthusiasm behind their campaigns whatsoever. Donald Trump supporters are by far the most enthusiastic supporters of any politician you could ever imagine. Whereas Ron and Nikki's supporters are just anti-Trump uniparty supporters who are trying to choose which vessel to put their anti-Trump support behind. And yet we were told that Donald Trump's supporters would be the ones who didn't show up because of the freezing temperatures in Iowa. Well, Donald Trump gave a speech on Saturday. The room it was held in was packed. The overflow room for people who couldn't be in the main room and still wanted to be present and watch it on monitors was also packed. National media was up there reporting about how it was packed, reporting on the long lines outside the venues. 
Donald Trump's supporters are only Trump and enthusiastically only Trump as I am. There is no way in the world I would ever vote for any of these other candidates for president of the United States ever. And it is always worth making the small and unlikely caveat that this is all just a ruse and somehow Donald Trump participates in rehabilitating the image of these people outside of that happening. There is no way in the world I would support any of these people for anything, period. But let's see where this two year long Ron DeSantis simp operation and this mass donor uniparty right establishment push behind Nikki Haley has brought us. This is from CNN.com today. Takeaways from the Iowa Republican caucuses. And as always, I use CNN because I want the most mainstream of mainstream normie takes to lay down the foundation. We need to get that side of the story and then understand what the story actually is. Donald Trump demonstrated Monday night that it's still his Republican Party. The former president won the Iowa Republican caucuses by an unprecedented margin, kickstarting his bid to win his party's third consecutive presidential nomination. He did so despite skipping the GOP primary debates and eschewing the retail politicking grind typically demanded by Hawkeye state voters. Sounds like CNN is mourning the death of the old style of political campaigns. Everything that gave the media control over the campaign process in terms of shaping the collective mind through the central narrative seems to have collapsed. The weather stuff didn't leave a dent. The stuff about Bob Vanderplatz endorsing Ron and bringing evangelicals to Ron, that didn't happen. All the money and the organizational structures that we heard about for the Ron DeSantis campaign, that didn't do it. None of it got anywhere close. Trump simply dominated. Now, it's worth noting that Iowa, with this caucus process, engages in a much more secure and reliable primary process than many other states do. Many other states just use the same fraud enabling election apparatus that they use in general elections. And we will begin seeing that as we go into quote unquote primaries rather than caucuses. At caucuses, people actually have to show up and they fill out a piece of paper and it is tallied in full view. People can watch and monitor these little mini elections, which is great but they are still subject to various forms of election interference. Less direct, obviously, than harvesting and casting and counting fraudulent ballots or manipulating the vote totals through machine algorithms, but still potentially effective. Media narratives on Donald Trump's indictments, the indictments themselves coming from the Biden administration and being supported by the GOP establishment including some of these candidates. Ron DeSantis has himself proposed that Donald Trump might be convicted. Vivek Ramaswamy was just out there the other day trying to convince voters to vote for him because Donald Trump might be taken out. He might be assassinated. And because the regime is not going to let Donald Trump become president again, you should instead vote for Vivek Ramaswamy. Now, he has dropped out and endorsed Donald Trump since last night's caucus results, but over the weekend, he was making that pitch. 
Trump actually claimed in 2016 that Ted Cruz's small three points Iowa caucus win was a result of fraud. The campaign had emailed potential supporters saying that Ben Carson would be dropping out of the race and that Donald Trump was strongly in favor of Obamacare and was pro-choice. Now, I wouldn't call that election fraud, though it may be dirty campaigning. I'm not sure I would even call it election interference. But by the standards campaigns are supposed to uphold, the email was certainly out of bounds. Now, it is worth noting that Donald Trump lost only one county in Iowa last night. There are 99 counties. Trump lost one to Nikki Haley by one vote. Now, if you think that sounds so improbable as to be impossible, I would be with you. That sounds like a very amusing narrative trick. The fact that he lost one county makes it a story how dominant Donald Trump was. That draws attention to the fact that he was so dominant, he only lost one, and to the fact that it was by one vote. All of the donor money, all of the organizations, all of the get out the vote effort, all of the Democrat Biden voters crossing over to vote for Nikki and Ron, all they got was one county by one vote. Now, most of this article is not really worth paying any attention to, but they do have a little section on DeSantis vowing to continue his campaign. After he was declared the second place finisher in the caucuses, DeSantis told supporters he'd survived having, quote, everything but the kitchen sink, end quote, thrown at him in Iowa as he vowed to continue his campaign. However, he's entering what could be a difficult stretch with polls showing him far behind Trump and Haley in New Hampshire. Trump is expected to dominate the Nevada GOP caucuses. Donors could also dry up. And there are reports that the DeSantis campaign isn't spending any money in New Hampshire really at all after spending all of this money in Iowa. DeSantis had famously gone to all 99 counties and he had the endorsement of the governor. He had an evangelical leader on his side. And for a while, he had the mainstream Uniparty right establishment media fully pushing him until they backed off and began pumping Nikki Haley, the 15 month long DeSantis simp op online, an extraordinarily negative, dishonest, immoral, really evil, anti-Trump and anti-MAGA info op. All of that was to establish DeSantis in Iowa, make it look like people really were ready for a change. But then Donald Trump went out and had the biggest Iowa caucus win in GOP Iowa caucus history for a non-incumbent, of course. The media still, of course, pretends that Nikki Haley has some shot at this. She's within a stone's throw of Trump in New Hampshire. And then the primary in the state where she was governor, South Carolina, that's coming up soon. Oh, Nikki Haley sure has a chance. But no, she doesn't. Nobody believes that. There is no story that the media will be able to spin that would make people believe Nikki Haley has a chance of beating Donald Trump. And the same, of course, is true for Ron DeSantis. No one is going to buy it. Ron DeSantis is not likable. He doesn't seem competent. He doesn't seem presidential. He seems petty and dishonest 
and way too small for the moment. He can talk about wokeness all he wants. He can talk about what he has done in Florida with his legislative supermajority and the backing of the Uniparty. But he has virtually nothing to say on any issue anyone cares about, except by expressing watered down versions of views held by Donald Trump. CNN's last little segment is interesting. Another blow to Iowa's caucuses. DeSantis was all in on Iowa. He completed the full Grassley visiting all 99 counties, a feat popularized by the state's longtime Republican Senator Chuck Grassley as an annual exercise. DeSantis also had the endorsement of the popular governor, Kim Reynolds. Ultimately, all it got him was a distant second place finish behind a former president who hardly campaigned in Iowa and a late rising rival who has long been much more focused on New Hampshire. Oh, yes, Nikki didn't even try to win Iowa. The results demonstrated the continued nationalization of presidential nominating contests. Monday night made plain the fading influence of local officials. More than half of the state's GOP lawmakers backed DeSantis. Activists, influential conservative Bob Vanderplatz, who'd bet right on the last three winners of Iowa's Republican caucuses, missed with DeSantis this year, and shoe leather work Ramaswamy was the candidate who held the most events in Iowa, according to the Des Moines Register. The best Iowa Republicans could say was that their caucuses weren't anywhere near the vote counting disaster that Democrats faced in 2020 when the party couldn't immediately sort out whether Pete Buttigieg or Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders had won. A mess that led the Democratic National Committee to demote Iowa in its nominating process. It kind of sounds like they are mourning Iowa as a state where they could rig caucuses in their favor or having a result that mirrors the narratives they are usually able to manipulate in order to paint a losing candidate as the one with momentum. They will attempt to do that for Nikki Haley because they are trying to somehow figure out a way that she could win the New Hampshire primary. So let's get some of the reaction from DeSantis world because they staked everything on Iowa and have now failed spectacularly. Last night after Fox News made its call, Andrew Romeo or Romeo was quote tweeted by garbage pail kid looking sociopath Steve Dace, who used his show routinely to call Trump supporters cultists and idolaters while conspiracy theorizing about all the many ways the polls were surely way off and Ron DeSantis was really going to win Iowa. Well, Andrew Romeo Romeo said absolutely outrageous that the media would participate in election interference by calling the race before tens of thousands of Iowans even had a chance to vote. The media is in the tank for Trump, and this is the most egregious example yet. So they have been pushing this line for months, if not a year now, that the media is all behind Donald Trump. Now, if you want to talk about net effects, the media coverage certainly does help Donald Trump. But that's not what these guys are talking about. These guys are really of the opinion that the media is not doing enough to support Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and tell everybody how great they are, even though they have staged all of these totally purpose-free debates, these ridiculous clownish sideshows to coordinate with a totally fake primary. They had Ron DeSantis 
debate Gavin Newsom for no reason. They have staged town halls to allow these people to get their message out, and they make absolutely no mark because their politics make no mark. They are not speaking to the American people about the issues the American people care about. They have had plenty of opportunities to do so. They have the full corporate support of their entire podcast network and all the social media influencers all pumping the Ron thing all the time. The biggest podcasts in the conservative normie sphere, the uniparty right standard issue villager fair on the Daily Wire in the blaze and even in the overtly establishment conservative media like the National Review. None of those organizations are behind Donald Trump. They are all pushing Donald Trump's opponents. The mainstream media is pushing Donald Trump's opponents. They are not saying anything nice about Donald Trump. In fact, they are actively promoting a hate campaign against Donald Trump and his supporters. But they are still somehow in the tank for Donald Trump, according to DeSantis supporters. And it's fine for them to make the claims Based on net effects, they're right. The media is helping Donald Trump, but it's not because they're in the tank for him. It's because they're in the tank for his opponents and everyone can see how dishonest they are. But Steve Dace quote tweets and says, we just finished voting. I'm getting texts from contacts all over the state with precincts that haven't even voted yet. This is absolute garbage. Now, again, I'd agree with him. I don't like it when the media calls winners before they know the winners, before all the votes are counted. Let's just get one total at the end of the process and report that. But that's not the world we live in. And these people are the people who pretend that Joe Biden really received 81 million real lawful American votes. So they're the worst people ever to be making this case. And that is one of the major problems with the whole DeSantis simp op. Even when they have a point to make, even when they are right about something, their motivation for what they're saying is so consistently backwards and or they're expressing a position and a motivation that is entirely hypocritical. You cannot defend Joe Biden's legitimacy and then claim that you are being treated unfairly by the media when they announce Donald Trump as the winner of a process he was absolutely going to win. But what they want to do is delegitimize Trump's win and delegitimize the process. Now, they're absolutely welcome to say whatever they want and interpret it however they want. But the total lack of honesty and authenticity shines through. This stuff just makes it worse for them. In terms of claims of election fraud and interference, the media calling an outcome before all the votes have been counted is as minor and narrative-based as it gets. They're not remotely worried about actual election fraud, but this constitutes a crisis. So let's go through some reactions from some DeSantis simps, and thank you to the followers on the Telegram channel who added DeSimp reactions from Twitter when I asked them to do exactly that. Tommy Loren. Instead of trying to tear down DeSantis supporters, the Trump social media army should embrace the fact that we are all on one team and we are ready to fight for Donald Trump, given we now know he is going to be our nominee. That doesn't take anything away from Ron DeSantis. He is the best governor in America in the future of this party. Right now, it's still Trump's election and we have to fight like hell on his behalf. United. So 
Tommy Loren is out. She wants back on to MAGA. I say no. I will say no to all of these people. Of course, everyone will make their own decisions. Make your own decision. I'm not telling you what to think. I would never tell you what to think. It's not my job to figure out what is right and wrong on your behalf. And you should reject anyone who pretends to know where the line is when it is their purpose to come in and tell you what to believe. Oh, don't check that out. Oh, don't check that out. Those are just psyops meant to make you look stupid. Hey, buddy, you're a psyop meant to make people look stupid. But back to Tommy Loren, there is absolutely no way that we are all on one team. These people have done nothing but slander Donald Trump and MAGA for 15 months almost in a fully coordinated and well-funded info op. And Ron DeSantis is not the future of the party. Ron DeSantis is toast unless and until Donald Trump goes out and makes an active effort to redeem him. These people live in a bubble on Twitter and in their little podcast sphere where they all just talk to one another and spend all their time convincing one another that they're all collectively on the right track and they really have a feel for where the people are, even though they have no idea at all. These people are totally detached from reality. Here is the little gay tank top man, Chris Nelson, the first to turn on Trump. We will never back that SOB again and will celebrate when he loses, goes to prison or anything to keep him out of power. These are the sorts of people who were telling us, telling MAGA that we weren't good conservatives, only they were. This guy is actively promoting the political persecution of Donald Trump and hoping that he will lose to Joe Biden just so they can laugh at Republicans while the country burns, apparently. John Cardillo responded in a quote tweet to someone called Al Vandelay, who said, unfortunately, we can't beat the left unless we have a party leader who wants to beat the left. And Trump will sell us all out when he thinks it gains him an advantage. Cardillo wrote, true, Trump will never be a conservative culture warrior. Just a clown show. I mean, he's either lying as part of an op or one of the stupidest people who has ever existed. That is absolutely preposterous. Kurt Schlichter, one of the biggest losers in the entire world, responded and quote tweeted Ruth Morris, who said, remember when you considered Trump supporters toothless troglodytes like five minutes ago? Because, of course, Kurt Schlichter is trying to get back in the good graces, just as Jordan Schachtel is. Kurt Schlichter says, weird how I constantly defend Trump supporters, even if I support DeSantis. Are you just running your mouth, not knowing what you're talking about? Or are you stupid? Or do you think that the people reading your tweets are stupid? So he's just basically pretending that he was cool with Trump supporters the entire time. He was never Trump in 2016, took advantage of MAGA for four years, and then became never Trump again. Brandon Sario tweeted, when it all calms down, Trump DeSantis ticket would win. Now, that's not true. And there's no chance Ron DeSantis is going to be vice president. And if he is, then something is seriously wrong and must be done. But Pedro Gonzalez, DeSantis simp, quote, tweeted that and said, Trump started the primary by suggesting DeSantis is a pedophile. 
Trump's top surrogates suggested DeSantis killed his sister, accused his wife of faking cancer and attacked his kids. There won't be a Trump DeSantis ticket like there won't be unity. Well, good, Pablo. I'm glad you figured it out. You're going to have to go back to the left. He was a Bernie bro. I imagine some of these people will probably go try to jump on board with RFK Jr. and get the rug pulled on them again. Former Q follower, Michael Flynn associate and MAGA darling in disguise, Tracy Beans wrote on Twitter, you can take a shit all over me in the comments. I truly don't care. What happened tonight was disgusting. If you are okay with this, I don't want to hear a single person complaining when Fox News calls a state for the competitor with 1% of precincts reporting, still voting DeSantis and doing so proudly. So that was last night. She was disgusted by what happened while putting her full support behind a candidate who believes that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes or more accurately, pretends that Joe Biden did that. One of the very most moronic DeSantis simps named Peter Henline wrote, Ron DeSantis has an easy narrative for the next month. The entire media, both conservative and liberal, colluded with each other and broke their own longstanding rules by calling a race for Trump before most Iowans had even voted. That's criminally wrong and shows just how desperate the establishment is to stop him. Oh, yes, Ron DeSantis is who the establishment really fears. He goes on. Under no circumstances would I ever cast a vote for Donald Trump again. And there are millions like me. Trump already lost an election against Biden by five points. It'll be much worse next time if he is the nominee again. So again, the level of political analysis by the DeSantis simps is non-existent. This is just retardation. And not only is it retardation, he is affirming the utter falsehood that Joe Biden really received 81 million real lawful American votes. These guys have to pretend that and their political analysis, of course, follows. You can't have something so foundational and so fundamental, absolutely wrong and expect to produce good analysis. He goes on. I keep seeing this recurring theme that DeSantis should drop out to save money so Trump can use that money for the general election. Aside from the fact that no one is owed donations, I would wager that near statistically zero DeSantis donors are going to be Trump donors. Good. Who cares? If Trump gets the nomination, there will be no new donors. Why would anybody donate to him now that isn't already donating to him? Why would anybody donate to a billionaire who is selling NFTs for personal profit while using the donations he does get to fix his private jet? And as we saw the other day, Biden is breaking all records for fundraising at the moment. The GOP will likely be outfunded 10 to 1 if Trump is the nominee. And apparently this degenerate communist is happy that our election outcomes have been dictated by who has the most money. Relatively new DeSantis simp John Burke says DeSantis supporters don't act timid with the MAGA trolls. Don't let them pressure you into changing your positioning. They're rallying behind the pro-vaccine guy that helped destroy this economy with his supported lockdowns. He attacked the Second Amendment and showed his true colors. Let them clamor all they want. They're Democrats that stand with the likes of Bud Light and Disney against their own side. So let them call us traitors and the like. This is coming from the same people that literally worship the man. Honestly, these people 
truly are retarded. That is just unfathomable retardation. It means nothing. These people are just so dumb. None of those attacks work because they are so dishonest and so irrelevant, so outside the realm of what Americans care about in this election, and certainly totally irrelevant to people who know our elections are invalid in the face of people who don't care. And let's do one final post from John Cardillo. The primary is basically over, and so is my criticism of Trump. I've said what I thought. I wanted the more conservative guy. Americans have spoken. Our guy lost. Dems will destroy us. So all of our fire must be directed at them. 110% must be directed at the left. They are going into hiding. They are going to try to disguise themselves and then become the same people they were throughout Donald Trump's term. There is going to be the same sort of undermining, the same sort of subversion, the same sort of soft coup happening against Donald Trump, all coming from this uniparty right. They are only admitting defeat at this stage. They will still continue to undermine Donald Trump, and he is even telling you that he is going to hide it. They are now going to attempt to convince normie conservatives online that Trump supporters who continue to go after Ron and Haley and these DeSantis simps and the rest of the GOP establishment are the real subversives, the real people who might cost Republicans and Trump the election. It's not going to be all of the detractors and Trump haters that make Joe Biden win again. No, it's MAGA itself. The people supporting the candidate are going to cause that candidate to lose, while the people who oppose that candidate are actually the ones doing the right thing to help that candidate win. That is how insane these people are. It's absolute madness. I will probably get into some more of this tomorrow and some further discussion about issues of elections and voting this fall. And the point of view I laid out over the weekend at GART. But let's wrap up today with some of Trump's victory speech from last night's Iowa caucus. While the DeSantis simps are still going on attack or trying to weasel their way back in, Donald Trump is offering some temporary, at least, reconciliation. The detractors, the Trump haters, the anti-Trump movement within the GOP establishment, they could quit. Nikki and Ron could drop out. People could coalesce and come back into the fold, but they won't. Despite that, Trump is signaling his commitment to GOP unity. I guess we'll see if there are any takers. But you know, the truth is the people in our country are great. They're all great. Uh, we love Iowa, but they're all great. They only want to see one thing. They want our country to come back. They're embarrassed by what's going on. Our country is laughed at all over the world. They're laughing at us and they want our country to come back. They want America. You know, they want us to be great again. It's a very simple MAGA make America great again. And America first. America first is a very important part of America. America 
I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com 
slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!